Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking all about friendship. Adult friendships are really important, but we often don't talk about these relationships. So in this episode, we are aiming to fix that by talking all about friends. I invite my good friend and colleague, Miriam Kermeyer, who is based out of Canada and is a friendship researcher, onto the podcast to share with us her knowledge around the benefits of adult friendships, the struggles. We talk about friendship in the context of parenthood and in the context of being an entrepreneur. We also talk about how to make friends. I'm really excited to share Miriam and her research and her knowledge with all of you. So let's jump into the conversation. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Today's episode, I am sitting down with friendship researcher Miriam Kermeyer. Miriam, thank you so much for making the time to record this with me and share your research and your wisdom on the topic of friendship. You're so welcome. I'm so happy to be a part of this. So first, Miriam, can you share with any listeners um, who you are, what you're passionate about, why you're doing the work that you do. I know that's a lot of questions, but um, yeah, I just kind of want to get allow the audience to kind of get to know your context and where you come from. Absolutely. So I work as a therapist. I'm based actually in Montreal in Canada, and I'm finishing up my PhD in clinical psychology at McGill University, which is where I study young adult friendships. And uh, in addition to those commitments, I also balance my work as a writer and as a media contributor, where I largely focus on young adult and adult friendships. So I have my blog with Psychology Today, which is called Casual to Close. And it's all about how we move from casual acquaintances to close friends and how we manage the challenging situations that come up in these relationships. So that, that definitely keeps me busy. <laughs> I bet. And I've read, I've read some of your stuff on psychology today and it is just such a great resource. I'll, I'll be sure to link to that in the podcast notes. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I mean, the why really stems initially from my interest in obviously human connection um, and how close others can support us through life's ups and downs, but also not only how they can support us through life's ups and downs, but how life's ups and downs can then impact our relationships and our friendships and how it can either be a make it a breaker moment to bring out the best in others in our relationships or really be um, a turning point in a lot of relationships. And obviously, you know, being a, a therapist and a soon to be clinical psychologist, I've always been interested in hearing other people's stories. And that's a big reason why I do my clinical work. But I also really um, am able to fulfill that in my research where I'm interviewing participants or I'm answering questions from the media or from the public. It's been really interesting to see how um, how big of a disconnect there can be in many ways uh, between academia, research, and also the public or the media. And obviously the media is one of the main ways that um, we get our information. And so it's been, it's been nice to be able to try and um, bridge that gap. When I first found you, it was in the very beginning of me sort of stepping into social media as a licensed provider. And it was just, it was so nice to feel not alone (laughs) in, in the effort to step into the larger wellness conversation, um, you know, because I think a lot of us don't because there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of discourse and fear of, you know, boundaries and uh, can we do that? And I think that we can, and I think we can do it while still being ethical and, you know, abiding by our legal constraints around confidentiality and boundaries. But I don't know. I just, I think that our licenses also bring with it, it, you know, it forces transparency of like where information is coming from and, you know, education and knowledge. And I don't know, I just, I was really happy to see that I wasn't the only one trying to step into the larger wellness conversation on these, you know, larger media, more public media platforms. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny you say that because I really had a very similar experience when I came across, you know, I think it was on Instagram actually of all places. 
Yeah, yeah. And I just remember feeling like this is a great example of the way that you can bridge, you know, ethical clinical practice and real research-based information and the more human side of things. And uh, yeah, so I was very excited to come across your work, definitely. But that whole balance of, um, yeah, being more visible and um, balancing the ethical piece of it and self-disclosure. I mean, these are all things that I'm, I'm still wrestling with as a new clinician as well. Oh, yeah. I, I am wrestling with it all the time. And, and I think for me, it just comes down to like everything that, I'm, that I do put out there being really intentional about what it is and how it could impact people. I think that you and I had a phone call about a year ago and we were talking about, you know, our, I think we were talking about like informed consent. And so like, how do we talk about social media to our clients and all that? So, you know, I've just, I very much appreciate having somebody to have these conversations with and to not be alone in, yeah, in my efforts to, you know, bring, like, like you said, the human side of, ther- you know, therapy and demystifying therapy by stepping into the larger wellness conversation. So I'm glad you're doing it. Keep doing it, please. Thank you. And the feeling's definitely mutual. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about how you came to be interested in friendship relationships. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, a, again, a balance between the personal and I guess the more um, professional side of things. I mean, personally, I've always been interested in seeing changes in friendship networks, whether it was in my own friendships or in others, um, and seeing how some you know friends come and go and people reconnect at later points in life. And sometimes those changes have um, things to do with you know, the individuals or the friendship itself. And sometimes they're really due to external factors that have nothing to do with the friendship. And so I always found myself thinking about that. And I got into friendship research through some, actually some other constructs. I was originally researching lie telling in young children. And so I was looking at both pro-social and anti-social behavior in the context of close relationships. And that then led to this kind of broader interest in interpersonal behavior. And I became really interested in ideas of uh, relational aggression, which is the idea of kind of using the relationship as as ammunition and co-rumination, which I actually just recently wrote a blog post on, which is all about kind of this experience of venting uh, with a friend and how and that feels really good and helps us to feel supported by the people around us. And it can increase relationship satisfaction. And on the other hand, it doesn't actually do anything about the problem at hand, and it can exacerbate um, difficulties with anxiety and depression. So both of those constructs really often come up in friendships. And so I knew that this was something I wanted to look at more and more. And the deeper I, I delved into that world, the more I realized how little we actually know about friendships in adulthood. There's a lot out there on younger children's friendships and adolescent friendships in terms of their importance in terms of how do we make good friends, how do we keep good friends, but there's very little out there on on young adult or adult friendships. And so it really felt like, again, this was um, a gap that, that I could fill and that I was really interested in, in in addressing a little bit more. Yeah. Why Why do you think that is? Why is it that we we seem to, at least in the world of research, we cared about friendships in children and in adolescence but then all of a sudden it like drops and it's like well we don't really care about friendships anymore (laughs) once you become an adult and obviously I mean there these are really important relationships in in our lives and so why why do you think there was that disconnect it's a good question I mean certainly in research but also in in everyday life I mean other relationships and responsibilities take precedence as we get older relationships with our partners, children, aging parents, colleagues, you know, work responsibilities, these become more and more important. And we don't often have as much time to invest in our friendships. And so they're often the first thing to go, or at least it can feel that way. So I, I, you know, and obviously other relationships are no less important, but it seems like yeah, there was just this big piece missing on on friendships in adulthood. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm not exactly sure why. You know, there always has to be a starting point for everything. And so um, a lot of the work that we've done has been building on what we know of children and adolescents' friendships. Um, 
And obviously, in terms of the research that's out there on the importance of friendships, we know that having good friends as a as a kid is so important for social development, for moral development, for mental health, for really you know so many areas. Um, but we do see continuity that 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 is just as important the older we get. So, from your research and what you what you've learned, why are adult friendships so critically important? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know what we see is that a lot of us intuitively we know that having good friends is a good thing, that it feels good to spend time with friends. It can be recharging in many ways. It helps us to feel supported. Um, But as we were talking about before, I mean, what the research is showing more and more is that it doesn't just feel good on an emotional level. There are lots of other benefits. So obviously friends help us cope with, you know, again, life's ups and downs that are a normal part of adulthood. Um, This includes conflict with other people. I, you know, I think I had started off one of my earlier blog posts and you know, when you have an issue with a partner or somebody, who do you turn to? And it's often a friend and our friends are there to give us advice and help us problem solve. Um, and if that's not possible, then just turning to a friend can also help us be less bothered or less affected by whatever it is that we're going through. Um, we know that having good friends is also associated with better mental health outcomes. So having positive, stable friendships, and we can talk a little bit more about what that means maybe, but that can protect us from feeling lonely and reduce the chances of uh, experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression. Uh, It's not just a matter of kind of reducing um, difficult or unwanted um, symptoms, as I'll call them, but friendships also help us to feel happier. And in terms of the more physical side of things, we know that having good friends actually helps us to live longer and healthier lives. So, you know, people have talked about loneliness epidemic that so many people are experiencing. And we see that loneliness and feeling like we don't have adequate support network or social network can be just as detrimental to our health as smoking or having high blood pressure. Um, On the flip side, having good close connections can really combat some of these chronic health issues and help us to live longer. Is it about how many friends we have? So is it about having a certain quantity of friends or maybe having friends in different areas of our life? And so having it sort of spread out through, you know, having mom friends or and work friends or friends from childhood and friends from neighbor friends. Is it more about the quantity and different in, in different areas of our life is it more measured is it more measured in quality of the friendship um what have you what have you uncovered or seen yeah i mean it's a great question and, and so often there's this desire to kind of quantify things right everyone wants a <laughs> I'm, I'm a re- can you tell i'm a researcher i'm like can we quantify this <laughs> miriam <laughs> <laughs> the the good news is, and again, we can certainly talk more about this. The good news is that it isn't about the number of friends we have. What's much more important than the number of friends we have is the quality of the connections that we make. So what matters most is that we feel as though we're in a supportive, balanced relationship, uh, friendship. And that our friends feel the same way. And I've spoken about this before, but there's some really surprising research out there showing that actually up to 50% of our friendships are not reciprocated. So yeah, which is, you know, every time I hear it, I'm a little bit blown away by that. But it's, uh, yeah, it just highlights the importance of that reciprocity in our friendships, and that both people feel like they're getting something out of out of the, the connection that they've made. It can be really, it can be really painful, though, too, right, to sort of, in order for us to acknowledge and accept that it's there, there isn't that reciprocity there. We have to be able to really look at it and, and acknowledge that and say that, and that can be really painful. So sometimes have, well, I'll, I'll ask you, but sometimes what does is what happens there is we sort of, we sort of keep, we, we keep trying to like show up for this friendship or relationship and trying to make it work instead of really acknowledging that maybe, maybe I'm not receiving what I'm giving and offering here. And and that maybe that means this is a relationship that I can and should walk away from. Yeah, yeah, which can be so tough to do, obviously. And it's it's not 
necessarily the end of a friendship when that happens. I mean, friendships, they are dynamic, right? Things do change. So at certain points in the relationship, one person might be giving more than another because of something, again, that might be internal to the friendship or external. Um, A new friend just got a new job or has moved or has had a new baby and they're just not as available as they maybe used to be. Um, But when that becomes a more chronic pattern and when that balance is shifted more long term that's when we need to ask ourselves some tough questions Mm. and I think what you're taught what you're speaking to right now really really hones in on and how adult friendships are going to look very different from our childhood adolescent friendships potentially because because of time constraints because of things that have changed and different roles that we're taking on. So can you speak more to how friendships change as we age? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you said, a lot of it has to just do with the amount of time that we have to to invest in our friendships and in our other relationships and responsibilities. Um, and as we were talking about before, you know, we, many of us come to see friendships as somewhat of a luxury, that it's something we can enjoy when we're not so busy or when we've ticked everything off our to-do list. Um, which can be difficult because they're often the first thing to go if that's our mentality. On the flip side, having less time really does mean that we do need to prioritize certain friendships over others. And so this kind of narrowing down process in our social network can be difficult, but it also ideally means that we're then left with the connections or the friendships that are really, really valuable. The ones where we feel like we can be our authentic selves, where we're willing to um, make sacrifices to stay in this relationship and where our friends are willing to do the same. Hmm. So what are some of the common challenges that we might experience in our friendships as adults? So you, you sort of, you spoke to some of them, but is there, is there anything else in there that you would add to that? Yeah. And I mean, this is also, again, one of the reasons why, I was so excited to be doing the work that I'm doing is because we, we don't know all that much. And obviously the challenges that we experience are going to be very different than those we went through in our relationships or friendships as youth. Um, we've talked a little bit about how tough it can be to maintain friendships the older we get when other things become important and we have less time. Um, but there's also this process where, you know, we're evolving, we're changing. And so too are our friends. And sometimes that might mean growing apart or having less in common. And obviously big life events can really show us who our true close friends are. So it can be tough to maintain friendships even in the ones where we're able to maintain it though, there can still be changes. So there might be shifting dynamics, which can obviously, um, again, be related to things that have very little to do with the friendship itself. So, you know, as we go through through our life and, and we're, we're being taken down a different path maybe than our friends and we see somebody having uh, different uh, professional success, financial situations, relationship uh, changes in terms of uh, seeing a friend getting married or even starting a family, this can be difficult to navigate because, again, it doesn't give us as much time to invest in our friendships. We might not be able to do similar activities that we used to do together, and that can be tough for a number of reasons, feeling like uh, we're not you know, in the same financial situation as a friend, so we can't do the same things that they would like to do. Um, but it can also bring up really difficult emotions, things that can interfere in relationships when they're not managed or handled or processed appropriately. So things like jealousy, envy, sadness, anger, and then even guilt. That And also, yeah, these can impact our friendships in a number of ways. Would you say that, um, would you say that flex is flexibility a protective factor in a friendship? You know, like being able to, I don't know, I guess hold space for the fact that things in the relationship are potentially going to transform and, and shift over time. Have you found that flexibility can be protective? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question question. I mean, I think it kind of speaks to what we were talking about a little bit before in terms of being flexible, seeing friendships as dynamic, you know, just like things may have changed to get to the point where you never thought you'd be, they can change again. Um, And so it can help to be a little bit um, patient sometimes, uh, both with ourselves and our friends when we're in a situation where we don't feel like things are going the way that uh, we hoped they would. Um, And then also just flexibility in terms of thinking about Uh, ourselves and the way we see ourselves as a friend and having 
um, compassion for our role as a friend and how tough that can be. Absolutely. So what about making new friends? <laughs> because I think that a lot of, as an, so when, when we're kids or teenagers, you know, in high school, it's like making friends is kind of your, our part, a big part of our job, right? As children and as adolescents is, is going out in the playground and asking, asking the kid if they want to play and, you know, finding out what we have in common with each other and then having a play date, you know, so making new friends is just part of the work of a child. And then it seems like we can get really out of practice or then we just start to feel really awkward about it as an adult, like how to make new friends. So do you have any thoughts on, it can feel like dating sometimes and then people get real, feel just like, it just feels super awkward. Um, how, how do we make new friends as adults? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's interesting. Your point about going to the playground and having these play dates, it really highlights that not only is that our job, but there's really a system in place to support children and youth for, for going about doing that. You know, parents are the ones setting up these play dates and school and extracurricular activities are, are really, you know, a main way that children connect with peers. Um, and then the older we get, not only are we out of practice and you know it's not always clear what we should say or do, but life doesn't make it easy to meet new people, especially those with whom we can connect. And because we're out of practice, because this, the opportunities aren't um, abundant, we can fall into a pattern where we're really, really, as you said, harsh on ourselves or self-critical or really self-critical. And it's very easy to convince ourselves that we're a, you know, a bad friend for losing touch with somebody or that we're awkward or um, uncomfortable in social situations or we don't have enough friends. And that can really hold us back. Those kinds of thoughts can really hold us back from being vulnerable in the way that's needed to make close connections. And we talk about, you know, how uncomfortable and dating can be so much more than we do how difficult making friends can be. And that really just reinforces a lot of the um, self-criticism, even shame that people experience. Because I think that so many people can relate to that feeling of what do I say? How do I approach somebody? Where do I go to meet somebody? And yet it's not being spoken about as often. No, you're so right. And so what happens in that is there's a silencing effect, right? It's like, well, we can talk about how partner relationships are difficult and hard, but we don't, nobody really talks about friendships in, in, in that same way. And so if we, if yeah, it, it can have this sort of silencing effect and shame loves silence. Like if we're, if we're quiet and isolated and silenced about something, shame can just fester in that space. So that makes, that makes so much sense. How, so, and, and what it sounds like what then you're saying is sort of the antidote to that would be embracing vulnerability and and being able to show up with vulnerability um and recognizing that it is a vulnerable position to be in right yeah and it's not always easy to know who we can turn to to talk about difficulties in our friendships um you know sometimes if we if we're feeling as though we're not we don't have an adequate support network uh it's not always clear where we should turn to to ask these questions um which which makes it even more difficult so how do friendships differ from our other relationships? Because I imagine that they do, right? Um, so I'm thinking of like romantic partners or family members or um, colleagues. How are they different from these other relationships? Yeah, I mean, certainly they, they can be quite different, although there can definitely be some overlap too. It's not uncommon for people to say that they're romantic partners are, are their best friends or, you know, have a close cousin or family member with whom they're friends. And, and the line between colleague and friend can sometimes be blurred as well. Uh, but there are some key differences. So when we compare friendships to acquaintances or colleagues, even obviously friendships are going to be characterized by more intimate exchanges. So we tend to share things with our friends, personal information that we wouldn't share with other people. We're more disclosing of our own personal beliefs and experiences. Uh, there's also the platonic aspects, which can differentiate it in many ways, you know, without being uh, as preoccupied uh, about the fear of being rejected or judged in a romantic context, we can sometimes feel free to be our authentic selves. That can be more difficult in dating. But 
one of the main things that really does differentiate friendships from other types of relationships is this idea of um, the fact that they're voluntary, I'll say. So unlike other relationships, there isn't an explicit expectation that you have to stay friends with somebody. Whereas, you know, if you're, if you're in a committed relationship or with family members, that's often there. And what that means is that friends have to kind of continuously choose to remain involved in each other's lives and, and engage with each other and invest in the relationship on an ongoing basis. And that's a big part of what makes the support we receive from our friends and the input we receive from our friends so incredibly validating and meaningful and why our friendships can have such significant consequences for our well-being and sense of self-worth. I never, I never thought of it in that way, but that makes so much sense. I think because when, when you first said they're voluntary, I was like, well, wait, but we choose to be with our romantic partners and our spouses, right? Like we chose them, but then there's, but then you're so right that then there is this, okay, you are married, you are committed. And there are a lot of discourses out there of, you know, now make it work. <laughs> you know? um, and with friendship though, I mean, there really is, you're, you're constantly, like, you're right, you're constantly having to make the choice of, am I going to choose to continue to be connected to this person? And through that relationship, I can just, I can see how healing that can be and how, what a, how powerful that can be in terms of self-worth and, and, and wellness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other, you know, the other key distinction, the other side of this is that obviously the expectations we have for our friends can be very different from those that we have for uh, the other important people in our lives. Uh, but they can also be a lot less clear than other relationships, which makes friendships a little bit tricky sometimes. So like we were talking about before, how do you approach somebody that you want to be friends with? There's a lot more uh, clarity or information out there on how you do that when you're interested in somebody in a romantic capacity and what do you do on a first date with a friend and how do you build momentum how do you build from there and then as we were kind of talking about before how do you go about ending a friendship or letting go of a friendship that's no longer working there are pretty clear almost unwritten rules of what you should do when you want to break up with somebody um, but friendship breakups can be much less clear mm, and I think that because there's less clarity there it's almost, and not that romantic relationships can't be messy and so painful when they end, but I don't know, without really knowing how that looks with the friendship, I could see how there is a lot of potential there for a lot of pain and hurt and just messiness, you know, around, 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 yeah, ending a friendship. Yeah, and a lot of uncertainty, which can be so difficult to sit in, in terms of not really understanding why a friendship is ending or no longer working. So I know that a lot of, of the podcast listeners are parents, and in particular, a lot of moms. So what are, we talk, we've talked a little bit about this, but anything more in terms of what are some of the most common and challenging friendship experiences that can come up during pregnancy and parenthood? Yeah. So, I mean, this really is one of my favorite uh, friend groups to talk about. And I mean, with good reason, you know, being a new mom can be so incredibly rewarding, but it can also be very isolating and lonely. And, well, you know, you're spending so much time at home, often with little adult conversation. And being a new mom can really lead to big changes in our existing friendship networks. And that's especially true if you're one of the first to have children. And so it's not uncommon for our relationships and friendships, especially to change during these big life transitions. And it can be very difficult to, to navigate both on a practical level and also in terms of the emotions that we're left with. There was a twofold thing that happened for me when I became a mom. One, I was the first of the majority of my friends to have a baby. And so that in and of itself was, was pretty isolating. Um, and, and then two, I was not prepared for how like just touched out I would feel in motherhood, especially that first year, just in terms of like, I used to be somebody that would love to just like be on the phone and just spend time with people and friends and just, we didn't have to do anything huge, but just be with other people. But I found that in motherhood, 
as much as there was a lot of like alone time and there it can very much sort of bring isolation i also found that i also needed i needed like i needed like my own personal alone time and i ne- i wouldn't necessarily i think it almost like I think I'm naturally, I have both extroverted and introverted qualities, but in that early motherhood, I almost like really needed to have quiet and to not be talking to people and to not, I don't know, I I needed that too. And so that was also challenging. So it was both like a lot of friends didn't really understand this transition I was going through in that like really intimate way that you get once you become a mom, but also the, you know, my, how much I could offer up in terms of my time and, um, how much I really wanted to spend with other people was also different. And that made friendships hard, especially the ones that I had before I became a mom. Yeah. And that can be really tough for, for both people on both ends to see one of our friends branch out and make new friends. And of course, you know, that desire to have other mom friends or to be surrounded by people who are going through a similar life experience or stage is, is so normal and, and very helpful in many ways. Again, not just on the emotional level, but in terms of getting practical support and advice and uh, feeling understood. But yeah, it can be very tough to see a friend branch out and it can make uh, people feel left behind. And that goes the other way too in terms of the the new mom feeling like um you know she's losing a part of herself losing a friendship group if if she's the first one to have friends there's there's so much more about moms and so I want to loop back to the mom stuff in a second but just because I brought up this whole being an introvert thing (laughs) can you speak a little bit to in being being an introvert when it comes to friendships um and I don't know. I mean, there's, there's different, there's different pieces here that we could talk about. We could talk about, you know, being an introvert and having extroverted friends who want to spend, who really value spending like lots of quality time with each other and they get energized by that. But being somebody who, you know, really needs, you know, really needs quiet time and just time alone. And that that's not a reflection of like the relationship, but just a reflection of a personal need. So can you speak just a little bit to, to that? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, what it really highlights is, as we were talking about before, the need for communication. So not just communicating with yourself and kind of recognizing, checking in with yourself and recognizing what it is that you really need to feel recharged um, and prepared to, to connect with other people, but also communicating with our friends in terms of what quality time really feels like and what we do find recharging because two people regardless of whether they're introverted or extroverted and I think to some extent you know the the differences between groups can be uh, exaggerated sometimes often the differences within groups can be much greater Um, checking in with each other and and asking hey you know what do you what do you think quality time is and is it a matter of getting together one-on-one for a walk and having a meaningful conversation is it a matter of going out to you know really exciting bustling new restaurant together Uh, but trying to find a bit of a balance especially when there is a bit of a mismatch in terms of uh, the tendency to be introverted or extroverted or in terms of what we see quality time as. Yeah. One of the things I really uh, value and appreciate in one of my really close friends, this is a friend that I, we travel with each other a couple times a year for, for different things. And she, she, she knows me well enough now that she knows that like what my signs are that I need alone time is I'll start, I'll start to get really quiet and I'll, yeah, I think that's the big one. I start to get quiet and and she'll she'll even ask. She's like, "Hey, do you need some alone time?" And like and it's not like a I feel rejected by you that you want alone time and we're on this trip with each other. It's like, "Hey, you have this need. Like we've talked about it and and that's cool. Like go take it. Like, you know, go for a walk or like she's just really she really um, understands that that's something that I need when I have that much time with somebody. Um, that I need. I, I get quiet and that's usually a sign that I need a little bit of alone time just to recharge so that I can come back and, you know, engage in all the fun things that we're doing on whatever trip it is. 
Yeah, I mean, that kind of sensitivity is such a testament to to the friendship that you have, I'm sure, and also the communication, the, the lines of communication that are open. And I think that, again, just highlights how important that is, because if we don't communicate at some point that this is something that we need for ourselves, and again, in order to be able to continue connecting in a way that's healthy, then it's very easy to see that tendency to um you know, cocoon ourselves or withdraw in some way or become a little bit quieter. It's, it's easy to take that personally. And so by communicating that this is something that has very little to do with our friend or our friendship and much more to do with ourselves and our own personal needs, that's the thing that can really preserve a friendship long term. Mm. So looping, looping a little bit back to to parenthood. Do you have any tips on maintaining existing friendships as a new parent? I think one of the best ways to to think about this is to focus on kind of the past, present, and future of your friendship. So what I mean by that is in terms of the past, kind of recognize and honor your friendship history. So remember who you were before children came into the picture and how you became friends. And so, you know, together reminisce about the things that brought you together and how you became friends reminisce on your shared memories and stories and experiences, try as much as possible to keep some of that sense of consistency or normalcy, do similar activities together, things that you used to enjoy. Obviously, that's not always possible. And so in terms of the present piece, that's where it becomes really important to label your limits and non-negotiables. And we all have them and that's okay. So be very clear if there are certain activities that just no longer work for various reasons, if there are certain days or times when you're just not going to be available, or maybe you need a little bit more alone time to recharge. And by communicating that again, that's going to help um, preserve the friendship longer term. It'll help both of you to recognize that those changes, those changing dynamics have very little to do with your friendship and more to do with current life situations. And Mm -hmm. obviously, checking in and making sure that you're able to have some kind of momentum in your friendship is really helpful. And it doesn't always have to be a big commitment. I think that it's very easy to convince ourselves that, again, that quality time um, needs to be something very significant in terms of a lengthy conversation or you know an exciting activity but a quick phone call or text can really help to keep a friendship going because it communicates that you're invested again that that voluntary aspect you're you're interested in seeing this friendship through and I, I saw something a little while ago I think it was actually on on uh, Oprah's website about this this idea of micro visits or micro dates <laughs> so it's the idea of kind of teaming up to run errands or exercise or work towards a shared goal, really just the idea of multitasking because life can be so busy as a new parent and it's hard to make time for the big activities. And then in that terms of that future piece, this is where it can often look a lot like dating because there's this idea of you know keeping the spark alive much in the same way you would in your romantic relationship. So as much as possible, do make time for quality conversations or new memories together and find new ways to connect and new activities that you might enjoy together and talk about the future of your friendship, uh, the different things you'd like to do together, the different trips you'd like to take. Uh, this can really kind of increase the closeness that you both feel in your friendship, but also the, the felt security in terms of feeling like there is a future here, that this is a viable friendship. So what about building the new friendships, especially as a new parent? I know for myself, that was, it was so, it was, it was so intimidating. I was like, gosh, I, so none of my friends have kids yet. None of them have babies. I I know that I need friends. (laughs) Where are they? Is there a dating app for this? Like, so what are, um, what are the resources or the ideas that you have for new parents who are, you know, looking to make friends and, you know, building that, that tribe and support network? Yeah. Well, I mean, the good news is that, that there is a, a dating app in a sense. It's called Peanut and it's, it's relatively new to the scene, but they're doing really great things to connect new moms with each other. And so, you know, you swipe right and you swipe left much in the same way you would with an online dating app. Uh, but it can be especially helpful if you've moved or if you really don't know any other parents and you're having trouble building that tribe 
or support system. And so that's often one of the first things I recommend. Uh, it can also be much less intimidating to approach somebody sometimes over social media or an app than in person. But on the flip side, it's not always a replacement for those face-to-face -face connections. And so I do encourage people to put themselves out there, quite literally. So sign up for some local event, especially in your neighborhood. Um, there are often events, you know, in organizations or even retail spaces that are geared toward new moms or new parents. And this is a great way to find other people who are in your area, which really makes it easier to maintain a friendship when you have that, um, that closeness, geographically speaking. And it can obviously help to combat some of the feelings of isolation that come with being a new parent. The other thing that people are often hesitant to use their existing social network or their existing support system uh, to share with you know, friends and family, hey, I'm looking to make new friends. Do you know anybody who I might get along with? Or do you know anybody who's a new parent? But people are usually far more willing to set us up on friend dates than we expect. And if anything, they might be very excited about the possibility of connecting you with somebody else that they know and that they think you'll hit it off with. And knowing you have somebody in common can, again, make it a little bit easier to get a conversation going and ideally make it more likely that you'll have something in common, even if it's just the person you both know. So it really is a matter of, of, of getting out there, quite literally. Gosh, it, really, it really sounds like gosh. dating. <laughs> but, but it's different. It's different. But it, does, it has a similar quality of like putting yourself out there and talking about it and being open to the vulnerable experience of building a new relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, one of the good things about being a new parent is in some ways you can kind of use your child as an excuse. So it can be a lot easier to approach somebody and, and say, hey, you know, I really like my, my child to make some new friends. And that can potentially lead to a friendship by proxy, which can be really helpful. Uh, or to approach somebody and ask them for, you know, some advice or somebody to trade stories with. That can make it a lot easier to, to get a friendship off the ground. But it doesn't have to be. It's also, you know, it doesn't have to be about about your children or your family. It can be about some similarity that you have in common or asking for a recommendation or giving somebody a genuine compliment, something that's going to lead to a conversation and something that's meaningful. I, I, I have, I still remember the first, the first day of going to, I attended a breastfeeding support group here in San Diego and one, because I needed I needed breastfeeding support, but two, I also just really needed a reason to get out of the house and take a shower and be around other moms. And I remember sitting down next to, like, I, I walked in and I looked around and I saw a mom that I was like, I, I think I could connect with her. She looks safe. She looks nice. <laughs> and I went and I sat down and I like, I still remember like striking up a conversation and being like, and then by the end of it, I was like, hey, do you want to, like, exchange numbers? <laughs> do you want to come over for a play day? And I definitely used my child as, like, the safety net. I'm like, you know, I really want to have more play dates for her. Um, and then I invited her over for a play day. And then then she, she brought somebody that she knew. And just from there, our little mom group grew. And we would have, like every other week play dates and those are moms that I still connect with and 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 again we all now have more children and our lives have gotten busier but you know I think that it it was a, those were really strong friendships and many of which I'm still connected to and it really took me being like can I get your number <laughs> you know and it felt so weird but we both laughed about it and we were able to talk about how silly and awkward it was but um, how it was important to both of us to start to build those friendships. Well, and again, that kind of vulnerability, not just asking for the phone number, but then being able to to joke about how how awkward it can be is really what, what brings people together, definitely. And also the experience of going through something that's so meaningful and so challenging, that can really lead to closer relationships longer term. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I also know that there are quite a few listeners who are entrepreneurs or self-employed. Do you have any thoughts on how to make or maintain friendships when you are an entrepreneur or self-employed, um, which tends to, you know, maybe you have kids too, but that tends to be like another baby that you have, you know, another child that you have that takes yeah, just a lot of time and can be isolating. Yeah, yeah, there are so many similarities. It's, it's very true. 
um, it does take so much time and it, it does, it can, it can lead to a sense of, of loneliness or isolation in many ways. There's been a lot of interesting research coming out actually showing the importance of workplace friendships. I, you know, so many people have a, a apprehension about the idea of building friendships at work and worry about those lines or boundaries being crossed. And of course, workplace friendships might differ from other friendships in meaningful ways. But what we're seeing more and more is that having friends at work is really beneficial for a number of reasons. So not only does it increase workplace satisfaction um, and retention, but it actually leads to more productivity too. So I, I think this idea that you know we shouldn't be friends with colleagues is kind of outdated. Obviously, we want to handle those relationships again in a mature, responsible way. But having connections at work is so helpful, especially because we spend so much of our time at our jobs for so many of us. And when we are self-employed, we don't necessarily have access to that type of social network. And so again, it's a matter of creating the circumstances that will allow you to interact with other people. And one of my favorite suggestions is to use or find a communal workspace. So I think I think it's also in the US, WeWork is, um, so they, they have a great um, business where they basically rent communal workspace and they have events, social events that they organize as well. And so it's a great way to feel less isolated and meet new people and meet other people who are probably also self-employed and who are entrepreneurs or creative entrepreneurs and who are also interested in forming new connections. And then there are obviously also lots of professional organizations or groups out there. So for creatives, there's uh, the Rising Tide Society. They have chapters over the US and Canada. They're again, specific for creative entrepreneurs and they hold social events and they have a really large online social network and they focus a lot on the benefits of connection not just on a personal level but how that can then lead to professional success too these things aren't at odds with each other in fact they're really complementary and then in terms of you know this whole idea of dating apps bumble which was traditionally the dating app that then also actually has Bumble BFF for friends. They also came out with Bumble Biz recently, which is a great way to connect with other professionals or mentors. Um, that can be often the starting point for a friendship. Oh, I did not know that. That sounds brilliant. Bumble Biz. So this is where you you log in, you, you share what your professional interests are, the work that you're doing, and then Bumble sort of connects you with other folks in your area that are doing similar things? Yeah, exactly. And there's even a toggle on the app where you can specify whether you're interested in meeting potential romantic partners or friends or um, colleagues or connections, professional connections. And so you can really tailor the app uh, according to what you're looking for, which makes it a lot, uh, a lot less intimidating in many ways. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. dynamic. Oh, that's so cool. So on, on that line, are there other res- are there other resources? Cause so we've mentioned peanut and we've mentioned the co-working spaces and you've mentioned Bumble and the different types of Bumble that are out there. Well, are there any other resources that you would recommend in the arena of friendship and friendship relationships? Yeah, so there are a number of other friendship apps. There's Hey Vina, which is another one um, geared towards young women. There are lots of friendship apps that focus on specific interests, actually, whether you're looking for somebody to travel with or a dog walking friend or somebody to team up with for a, to meet a shared fitness goal. So those can obviously be hugely helpful, as I said before, because they allow us to expand our social network in ways that just weren't possible previously. And you can obviously find friends that fit specific needs for whatever it is you're going through at that point in your life. But it also makes it a lot easier to approach somebody because you know that they're also interested in making friends. So it kind of takes the edge off a little bit. It, it can feel like it's a little um, less risky of a situation. And there are obviously a lot of websites and online resources too. So things like Meetup and Meet Me, these are great ways to meet friends through shared activities or hobbies like a hiking group or photography class, a walking city tour group. Um, so in terms of kind of practical resources, those are some of my favorites. But then there's also a lot of reading material out there. So I'm obviously a little biased in the sense that I'm a big fan of some of the sites that I write for, have written for in the past. So Psychology Today has a number of blogs actually that are devoted to friendships or the idea of building connections more broadly. And most of those are written by other therapists or psychologists or researchers. So it is a great way to stay on top of some of the latest research that's out there. 
Um, the Every Girl is also a really great resource for young adults, and they actually recently launched the Every Mom. So for listeners who are new moms and are navigating some of those challenges related to being a new parent and and how do you maintain your friendships and how do you navigate those changes, um, it's really the content's written in a way that's really accessible and relatable. Uh, there's also option B, which has a lot of really helpful and really beautiful information on, on handling the more delicate situations that come up in life's, I would say, most challenging moments. So how can we support loved ones, including our friends that are going through hardship, whether it's health problems or mental health struggles or struggling with grief or loss? And then there are also actually some other people who are doing great work in the area of friendships, too. There's Shasta Nelson. There's Andrea Bonnier. There are some really great people who do some some fantastic writing as well. Thank you, Miriam, so much. For all this. I'm gonna, so I'm going to do my best to add all these resources in the podcast notes. So for those listening, and if you weren't, didn't get a chance to write any of those things down, I will add them in the podcast notes. And Miriam, you are a great resource. So where can people find you? Oh, thanks. Well, links to all of my recent articles and interviews can be found on my website. So that's miriamkermeyer.com. And then I'm also on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and actually Instagram, which is how we connected at Casual to Close. Awesome. Miriam, thank you so much for just for sharing your wisdom with us. There's so there's so much gems and wisdom that I I feel like I learned in in all of this and I'm just so grateful to you for the work you're doing and for your willingness to share your work with me and for the podcast listeners um, because you're just you're so right like we're not talking enough about the importance of adult friendships but they are so important to us we all we all engage in peer relationships in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, beginning to have more conversation on the importance of these relationships and the complexities and dynamics of them, I just think is so valuable. And so I just, therefore, really value you for coming on here and talking to me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really, it's been a pleasure chatting and I'm, I'm happy to, to do my small part to, to contribute to that larger conversation. Thanks, Miriam. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.